0: Welcome to This Week of Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Vercola. In this podcast, we go over the big stories that have appeared during the week at thisiscommonsense.org.
1: So we have this week, again, five commentaries, one for each day, Monday through Friday. And we are consistent. I mean, week after week after week, five commentaries. Now, it may be because there are five days in each week. And it's just consistent week after week. But I just want to put it out there that we have we have matched that consistency. All right. I'm being silly, but it's it's the first week of March. March is my birth m- month. Uh, and, and we've been joking in the house because it's on a Saturday Saturday. And because I, I fibbed, I guess, to Starbucks, a lot of times when they ask for information, I like to not give it exactly correctly. So I'll know later if somebody sold it and so on. So I put my, my birthday as the day later. So my Starbucks free drink is on Sunday. Today, someone on Facebook said happy birthday. They were just a day early. Saturday's my birthday. So it's like a birthday weekend. But But when the kids were younger, I mean, it was like birthday week. And of course, I have two kids born three days apart, two days apart. I don't even know my kid's birthday, two days apart. And so that's always a birthday week. And then my grandson's born three days before that. So it's really a birthday week.
0: So anyway. Talk about consistency. You have a family tradition (laughs) on this kind of stuff. (laughs)
1: That's right. Wow. That's right. But I, so I, I claim the whole month of March, which always seems like a big month. Um, but it, and if I can't get the whole month this this weekend, but so we began this week March first on Monday, talking about you know one of the stupidest things. The, the name of the piece is Ice Uh and Operation Talon uh, was a ice program. And and I'll just say at the outset before I even mention the program. What we talk about is stupid, whether you love ICE or hate ICE or anywhere in between. It seems to me that, you know, abolishing ICE, if you're going to have laws about people can't just come in, you got to have some enforcement. And so that probably doesn't make sense. Uh, But the idea that you should just. um, Well, Joe Biden decided to get rid of a program, it was a Trump program, so, you know, there you go. But the program was designed to go after sex traffickers. Now, I don't know about, you know, everybody might have their own list of bad guys, but sex traffickers are right up at the top of mind. And this program seems to have actual people in different states, working on this issue, who really like the program. And of course, when you think about borders and stuff and sex trafficking, you know, if you can move across borders as sex traffickers, that's a terrible thing. And and so, you know, I mean, it, it is kind of the place where you would try to put a stop to stuff like that. Anyway... In the rush to undo Trump stuff, in the rush to be somehow pro-immigration instead of anti-immigration, even though most of the debate is not about pro- or anti-immigration, it's about how, what policies are you going to have, and are you going to enforce them if you're going to have them, and so on. But anyway, in all the virtue signaling, they've canceled this program. And so we talk about that on Monday, Icedy Talent uh, they get rid of Operation Talon, which was a, a seemingly successful government program. You know, you can never get rid of a government program. But whoa, 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 wait, here's a successful one. Boom, it's out the door. So uh, anyway, that that's kind of funny. Oh,
0: and you have written about uh, several programs trying to round up sex traffickers and underage children who've been, you know, exploited around the states. The U.S. Marshals have had a program like that. And Trump was very successful about this, and I'd never heard any organization in the government doing that successfully in city after city in the United States. But that was a Trump era success, as far as I can tell.
1: Yes, and, and and of course, you know, they've gone after that at different times, but it did seem like there was uh, there was a noticeable uh, push and focus on it, and that there did seem to be some results. And it just strikes me that. You know, it would make more sense to abolish ICE outright than to pick and choose programs and choose this program to get rid of. Because this is a police program. This is the sort of thing that anybody is, is regardless of where they are politically, is going to want law enforcement engaged in. So it's, it's uh, you know, finally they finally they get rid of a program. And it's, it's a program that actually works. Go figure.
0: Yeah, and and uh, it's a even funnier uh, for me because it uh, feeds a narrative that you would think they don't want fed, and that's the narrative that Democrats are pro-pedophilia. This is a big thing in the in the uh, Trump circles, is uh, this idea that that uh, the elite that opposed Trump was is filled with pedophiles. You know the Jeffrey Epstein business and and a whole lot more, and, and Q just went crazy with the subject apparently. And yet this is what the Biden does, is that oh yeah, I'm I'm soft on pedophilia. That's okay.
1: Well, and this of course is not necessarily always pedophilia, but it falls under that that category because it's it's trafficking. And so if it, it's slavery and, and it's force and
0: And it's usually it's a, usually a younger age. people. It's usually young people. Of younger. course. Uh, right. Right. So
1: and, and we should mention, or at least I'll mention that, you know There's I haven't seen any, uh, you know, damning smoking gun evidence that uh, that the Democrats are uh, are run by a group of pedophiles. But um, it it does seem like this decision on that one program doesn't make any sense. And uh, and so it's I don't I don't think it implicates uh, anything along the lines of QAnon and so on. But it does implicate the fact that the concern about real people, I mean, sometimes these guys can really talk a good game about how much they care. And it just seems like when they make decisions, they, the mistakes they make hurt real people that supposedly they care about. But they don't make those kind of mistakes when it comes to their own PR to their own positioning on these issues they don't when they're running their campaigns for re-election, they're not making a lot of mistakes uh but they don't seem to care nearly as much as about whether some poor kid that's being sex trafficked gets caught or doesn't get caught and um and you know i'm sure they want them to be caught i'm not suggesting these people are are quite that vile i'm just saying that they come first and second and third and and you know maybe maybe helping people comes fourth uh, or forty eighth or whatever it's on the list somewhere. But as as uh, as I've begun to think more and more <laughs> the older I get, really anything beyond third on the list doesn't get any attention, and sometimes nothing beyond number one on the list gets any attention.
0: Well, that same sort of consideration uh, and judgment applies to your second piece on Tuesday. <laughs> what a story What a story. We walked. This is like the yellow
1: brick road right up to Cuomo. Uh, Tuesdays was Cuomo calling. Uh, we always have fun on on uh, titles, and I'm very proud of this because this was my title. We were really I couldn't come up with a title and then usually you have great titles, but you, you were I don't know. He was. He just didn't have it that day. And uh, anyway, I uh, I I think it's interesting because what we focused on on looking at Andrew Cuomo and his predicament, but really more looking at Andrew Cuomo and looking at how he symbolizes or epitomizes uh, so many other politicians I've run into. There's the hiding information about people dying in nursing homes and people from nursing homes going elsewhere to die and all of that, which is a huge, very problematic issue. Early on in the pandemic, uh, we did a a commentary. I think it was Fear Itself was the name of it. I looked it up the other day, Um, but I just said, look, you know, we have to we have to cut our or elected officials a little slack in terms of this is a brand new thing. They don't know all the answers. You know, they're trying to do their best. Let's not be a bunch of Monday morning quarterbacks second guessing everything and oh, they're stupid. And Oh, they killed these people because they made some mistake. They thought, you know, this was going to be safe. It turned out it wasn't. Something else would have been safer, whatever, that we should cut them some slack. But I made a point at the time that obviously any sort of bad behavior and, you know, and corruption or just gross negligence is a little bit different story. Well, here with the nursing homes, it's, it looks like not only potentially some gross negligence, but really the, the kicker is it has to do with not being transparent, hiding information, uh that's a very serious thing. And I know that because the major media wanted to blame Trump for er- every death in, in the pandemic in the United States and not blame China, where the CCP hid information and it's now come out and everybody's kind of agreed, oh, yes, it's all the CCP that hid stuff. But, of course, all of us knew that, you know. Three weeks into this thing, we knew that they had hid stuff, and, and Trump called them out. He was slow, actually, to call them out, but then that couldn't be, and so now, you know, now, of course, uh, that can be, be mentioned, but throughout all of that, um, that's a serious thing, hiding information. Government does it all the time, and it is annoying and irritating and murderous, but especially here, it's especially murderous, and and so you know, it's serious, serious stuff. And then, of course, there's this the uh, sexual harassment allegations, and I think you know it should be looked at like all the others. You know, partisans keep changing their position, but most Americans, you know, let's get the facts out. And if he behaved badly, then he should go. Um, and of course, he's, he's done the usual politician. I'm sorry if so, anyone was offended, even though I never did anything or never intended to do anything. It's all, But anyway, I basically took all that in this commentary, mentioned it and put it aside, because what's, what really reached out about this story to me was his phone call uh, with the state rep who had called for an investigation of the nursing home deaths and of the statistics and the lack of transparency and accountability and truth talking coming from the Cuomo administration on it. And um, I, the phone call to this guy where he threatened to destroy him and so on and so on, so reminded me of my early years at U.S. term limits when I had a, you know, a phone line that You know, I I called the prima donna party line because we would get phone calls from politicians who didn't like some mailer we did in their district or somebody else did in their district or something that we said or just ridiculous stuff. And uh, and they would call and scream and threaten. And uh, some of it, you know, you wondered if they really didn't need somebody to come. Take them to a quiet room. Uh, others that you realize, no, they're totally sane. They're just a bad human being. Uh, but uh, but anyway, that's what rang so true. And in his first apology, non-apology, he's I think had two or three apology, not apologies now. Um, but in his first one, he said he never intended. To make anyone feel uncomfortable and that was the line that jumped out at me because it's a lie. His stock and trade is making people feel uncomfortable. He's a bully. And here's the other kicker that people need to realize right left in between. They're almost all bullies. They're almost all like this. I. I can't of, of all the different people I've met, people in business and people in different walks of life, in in politics, politicians are just the worst people I've ever met. And I and and I I know and adore some people who are politicians, were politicians. I don't mean to to paint with a broad brush across, you know, wall to wall that they're all bad people. They're not. They're not. And most of them, I think, got into politics, were not bad people yet, although
0: <laughs> I'm somewhat not so sure
1: about that. The numbers, whether it's a majority or, or a minority or whatever, I'm not sure. But, um, but there, there are just a ton of narcissists and prima donnas and tantrum throwers. And, and that's who is running our government. And the longer they're in power, the more they rely on those emotions and actions because they're all about holding that power. One of the things that would, that's wonderful is term limits. One, if you get somebody in who's a bad actor, they're not going to stay forever. But the other thing is that you get a lot of people in who, if they have some bad actor in them, don't get to stay long enough for that to metastasize and fester and, and be their end all and be all. And so it's, it's uh, you know, you wonder years ago, I remember doing a script about the fact that New York had, uh, the Brennan Center had done a study of their legislature and had found that they had 3,000 some odd bills in a row that had hit the floor and passed. Nothing defeated. Nothing hits the floor that's ever defeated. And it was remarkable. Um, and of course, you could look at it and you could see some political science professor somewhere, and what brilliant legislative leadership. But it showed just the utter control that the leadership had, that everything was you know, marching along as these leaders said it should. And then of course, years after that commentary, not too many years, because the same people were still in power, both the Speaker and the Senate President who were in power at that time in New York State went to prison for corruption. And so it's, you know, there, there tends to be this recurring, you know, we, we did it a couple of weeks ago when we talked how in the Washington Post, they were, they were kind of telling the Democrats, go ahead and send money to people. It will entrench you in power and then you can do other stuff. Um, there's always this push for earmarks. Push push for uh, which was another script we did last week. Talked about that. They're always pushing for these power politics guys, and oh, they want to write the story about the tough guy who you know pushed everybody around. That's not the they're in the wrong system, or or unfortunately, it increasingly looks like you and I are in the wrong system, and we got to get our system back, or or find it if it ever existed. Um, but, but in essence, it, it seems like the media, they're not repulsed by these tough guys. They were repulsed by Donald Trump because he wasn't their candidate, even though, boy, they sure liked him when he was just seeking the Republican nomination. And That was one of the biggest changeover in the media I've ever seen is the amount, especially on MSNBC, that he was adored and covered uh, and was just an interesting guy. Until he got the Republican nomination, and then he was despised and a terrible guy. Um, but anyway, the, the, uh, there are a lot of people in Washington, not just the politicians and not just the psychophants who are hanging around them, but the media and even think tank people and political people around them. And they play into this whole thing, and they somehow think that these completely flawed men, it's like the more flawed they are, the better. And most of us, I think, recognize that, yes, there are going to be some flaws. One of the beautiful things that the, the founders of this country and the, the framers of the Constitution understood was that men aren't angels and that you need to. Women aren't angels either. They meant both. Um, and, and so you've got, to, you've, you've got to kind of protect yourself in Republican, small-R Republican ways. You've got to have Democratic small d democratic checks on that power from the public. And and you you need to also recognize the ambition and try to pair those ambitions against each other. In other words, uh, they saw three branches of government blocking each other and holding each other in check. And of course, people who I think have a, a grasp of what's going on at the federal government know that one of those three branches, which is supposed to be the most robust, Congress, the most representative, the most in touch with the people, is completely broken, is not representative, is not in touch with the people, is not working for the people. They're working for other people uh, who wrote them checks for their campaign, who are part of their political party, who are, they're in a different game. Their game is not representing you and I, and we know it, and it's just obvious. And so, uh, anyway, I, I present the uh, the Cuomo situation to just remind that not only is he in a lot of trouble, I think, for hiding critical information, uh, and who knows about the sexual harassment stuff? That you know, uh, I think you know, the more the more accusations, the harder it is for people to not start to feel like something's going on, and that's not really fair, but. Uh, but anyway, all of that aside, we have a huge problem with people in power who are bullies and who want to use that power in ways that our whole society is designed to prevent. And I think Andrew Cuomo is one of those.
0: Well, on Wednesday, you went for a different kind <laughs> of leader, uh, the leaders who uh, actually performed something for us. Uh, yes. And get very rich off the rich off of it. Uh, that's meritocracy, a myth for March 3rd.
1: I think back to uh, uh, not this election, but the last election, uh, 2016, with uh, Bernie Sanders going on and on about millionaires and billionaires. And then, of course, it stopped being about millionaires and billionaires and just about billionaires because he became a millionaire. Ooh, shucks. Uh, who saw that coming? Um, Anyway, but we're talking about a CNBC uh, program and two hosts, uh, Robert Frank and Gary Cohn, who uh, were talking about the rise of billionaires. And of course, you know, with COVID over the last year, a lot of small businesses go out of business, a lot of people hurting economically. But of course, there have been success stories too, where people have found success economically, who have become billionaires, and they were talking about all the new billionaires, and um, and a uh, progressive, uh, pretty popular podcaster, uh, Kyle Kalinsky, uh just wasn't having it. This was this was everything terrible about CNBC in one clip, is how he uh, referred to it, and. His problem with it was, well, I guess he had several, but uh, um, his main problem was that there seemed to be this attitude that these people who became billionaires had gotten to be billionaires because they worked harder than anybody else. And... um, you know, which he, he mentioned was provably untrue, you know, but of course, didn't, didn't bother to, to give us any of the proof, as we mentioned in the in the commentary. But the, the, the reality is, as, as one of the hosts pointed out, it does take hard work. The truth is, I don't think there are any billionaires who don't who who never worked hard. It just doesn't happen. If you're lazy and don't want to do any work, you just don't, it doesn't somehow roll into your lap to become a billionaire, but it isn't just hard work because there are people out there. I mean, I think somehow there's, there's a kind of a myth of the person who works three jobs and, you know, never gets ahead because, you know, somebody who's got the grit to work three jobs is, is probably going to come to somebody's attention who needs somebody who's a hard worker. And, and and so I, I think that there you know there can be myths on, on all sides, but the the reality is you have to have an idea and 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 have a good idea and hard work. And of course, the point we really make in this piece is it's not just working hard, it's having a good idea. And in this day and age, progressives ought to see. The reality here, which is that these ideas, good ideas of today, are ideas that have allowed all kinds of other people to monetize what they have, what they do. The the Uber, uh, which creates this ride share, and all of a sudden someone can go to work on the weekend effectively and make some extra money that he couldn't have made otherwise. And then... Be able to help his wife go to college so she can get a degree to get a better job. It, it, these people are creating value. And that's what makes somebody wealthy is creating value. Hard work is a part of that, but you know, you can you can run around the block 20 times, but that's not gonna make you any richer. So it's not just a matter of, of how many, you know, how many calories you burned or how much you sat at a, at a, a business. If you want to become a billionaire, uh, you had to be entre- entrepreneurial, but the, the hard work plus a little something extra. And, um, and, it, and we make the point in this piece as well. Uh, well, maybe, maybe that's a, uh, maybe that's a spoiler, but we just, we just point out that um, this is so clearly progress. And yet, the progressives don't like it. They don't. They don't like it. They want progress to go back to kind of some Marxian vision of uh, what the world's supposed to be. And uh, and you know, there's there's this idea of you know we're always hearing that something needs to happen to save capitalism, as if what we're what we're doing in the United States is exactly capitalism. We have a certain amount of freedom certain amount of a free market, certain amount not a free market, and certain amount of it is is mercantilism in sort of the same way, less so, but sort of the same way as China, which is a communist country, which which we talk about all the time, is not really communist so much. They're more, uh, you know, I call them the Chi-Nazis. They're much more fascist, much more, you know, you guys go out and make some money and we'll steal it from you whenever we feel like it. Uh, It's an oligarchy. It's, you know, it's uh, what 90 million people and really about 25 on the Politburo and really one guy, Xi Jinping, who's making all the decisions and who is running the economy uh, and helping some businesses and, and making decisions that that they really don't have much business making a little pun there. But But the U.S. would like to be doing, the the politicians in the United States would like to be doing so much of that same stuff. They'd like to be having the industrial plan and deciding all the things so that capitalism would have all the good intentions that these do-nothing, know-nothing, mess up everything politicians have, supposedly. Um, So, anyway.
0: The next day you carried through on the difference between... uh... You might say private enterprise and public enterprise, with the great failure of uh, public education in Baltimore, uh, with none of that happened. You've dealt with Baltimore's educational system several times over the years.
1: Yes, yes. Well, and it's easy for me because I'm in the same general big metro area, Washington, Baltimore, and and so the Washington Post covers a lot of it, and it's covered on TV and radio and stuff. So it's easier for me to get to those uh, stories, and uh, but it's also, you know, kind of as Trump said, a hellhole city. And, and uh, you know, it's got nice parts, and it's got a lot of nice people who live there, but it's hard to argue with that description of it. Um, it's just the poverty of thought, of action, of, of wealth. Um, it's just, it's, it's so sad. And of course in Washington, We've had some of the same problems, uh, both places. And and these aren't the only places in the country. This stuff is happening all over the place. It's, it gets reported on more, obviously in the big city, people fall through the cracks, which seem to be, you know, the size of a Mack truck. Uh, they fall through the cracks in DC and, and Baltimore because there are such big cracks, uh, you know, more spectacularly, I guess. Um, But anyway, this, this story, none of that happened was the, was the title. Um, It's about a high school senior who has only passed three courses in his last four years of study. (laughs) And uh, his grade point average is 0.1373. Now. A four-point is an A average. Three-point is a B average. A C would be a two-point average. A D would be one point. He doesn't have one point. He doesn't even have half point. He's on the lower side of an F failure average. Well, a couple things. First of all, he's not alone. His average, which is pathetic, is about the average of the school out of 120 students, and this is at a a school where I think you'd have to kind of sign up to be there. It's um, it's um, I'm looking for the name of it because it was a long name. Um, oh, the Augusta Fell Savage Institute of Visual Arts. So it seems like this isn't you know this isn't just oh this is my local school I'm going to it. These are people who wanted to go do visual arts, and obviously they have other classes too, but that's the, that's the focus of the school. But out of 120 in his senior class, he's 62nd, meaning 58 students, roughly half, are below him. It's hard to get below him. What, did they pass only two classes, just one, none? And so this is, this is half the school is flunking, and of course his mom is surprised that he's not passing, that he's he's been going, they've been moving him, even as he fails Spanish 1 or Algebra 1, they're moving him on to Spanish 2 and Algebra 2, even as he fails all, you know, virtually 9 out of 10 classes his freshman year in ninth grade, they move him on to 10th grade, he does the same in 10th grade, they move him on to 11th grade. So um, you know, you you listen to what his mom says, and her English is not proper, uh, and she's shocked. But you know, I know my parents. Look, if 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 I hid the report card, my parents after a certain number of weeks, when they go, Ah, eh, where's the report card, son? you know i'm do I need to call the school do I need you know that report card either the school would have produced it or I would have produced it and it they wouldn't have it wouldn't have been two three years later that they oh hey we've never seen a report card so there's blame here a good friend of mine who who uh uh is a regular reader and and uh texts me you know his comments uh on not every day but on a on a regular basis uh He said I was too, too easy, uh, too easy on the mom. And my wife read it, um, which she usually doesn't. This was during as I was writing it and I was telling her about it. And she said I was being too tough on the mom. Um, But but the truth is um, this, you know, it's a single mom. She was she's supposedly working three jobs. She's got other kids, you know. But the mom, you know, if you're going to have the kid, it seems to me you you should know. What's going on with their report card and other stuff? That's just my view. I, yeah, I can't force you by law. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna stand outside and heckle you or anything. But, um, but that's that's my view. But that's why we have public schools. I mean, if if every parent, look, if if uh, my parents, I think were wonderful. If every parent were my parents, why would you need public schools? Just let the parents do whatever. They're gonna have it all taken care of. Um, but the whole reason is because, well, maybe every parent is in a position to do that. And so you have public schools. And, of course, the response to this, this was a Fox uh, Project Baltimore's, one of their little programs, little, I shouldn't say little, but it's a, a subset of what they do news-wise, and it's designed to be kind of a watchdog on education. And so they they brought this out, and in response, the Baltimore City Schools released a long statement going through all the different things they do regularly. And here's the, you get a letter and then they call and then they have a teacher's meeting. And well, none of these things happened. And it's a huge bureaucracy. And and if there's this many students, 58 who are in worse shape than he is, I mean, come on. This is, bureau- well, we have a bureaucratic statement about that. That doesn't educate anybody. And so I come to the end of this piece, and I hope you'll go read it. Uh, none of that happened uh, because that's what his mom said, is none of these things that they say happens for them to make sure some student doesn't fall through the cracks. None of it happened. But here's the deal. What's, a, what's problematic here most of all is pushing this to a system that pushes this kid up and out with nothing, with no education, nothing to be able to navigate the adult world. That is just despicable. But it's happening in large numbers and it's happening over and over again. At the very least, we have to stop pretending it's not. And the other thing is, we have to take some responsibility ourselves. And and look, a lot of us are. Some people listening to this are, are working in education, doing everything they possibly can. Look, I'm not giving you a hard time. I'm just saying, as citizens, aren't we in a in a little bit of a way doing the same thing, where we just yeah that's what happened, yeah that's what. Well, we need to say, look, we got to get rid of it. We got to have vouchers. We got to have tax credits. We got to have something. I would be all for taking every school give the kids even public school choice but just take the budget that's going to every school and and reach an agreement with the teachers and the administrators at that school that they will take this budget and educate these kids and let them go have at it we are our education system is so horrible And these things that keep popping up all over the country, Atlanta, Chicago, Cleveland, Washington, Baltimore, on and on and on, the bigger the city, the worse the problem. But it's we want to get graduation rates up. Well, we do. We get them up. Oh, we just lied about it. We just lied. We took the bonuses we got by lying about the graduation rates. Oh, we need scores to go up. Well, we get the scores up. But we cheated to get the scores up (laughs) you know they've had all kinds of part of the graduation rate was to basically that you could change grades and it looks like some of the school systems now are, are looking at ending that program where teachers can change grades and it's basically it's like it's almost like one of these scams earmarks or something where teachers can bestow some special favor on you and then of course the teachers who get in trouble or the teachers who say you know what you didn't you didn't come but 10 days out of 120 during that semester I'm not giving you some special dispensation and they're the heavy they're the bad guy and the other teachers oh, oh yeah you didn't show up at all but we'll move you on that's becoming our system and um, you know I don't I don't have all the answers I just know that if we continue to pretend that we have a world-class education system um, that we're reaching every no child is left behind, we are part of a big lie that is really destructive to a lot of, of kids who, if we're going to be doing all this, let's actually benefit the kids. You know, I'm I'm one of these, uh, you know, I don't run around saying taxation is theft because I, I think the discussion needs to be a little more sophisticated than that, frankly, but, but taxation is theft. And I'm kind of, uh, one of these taxation is theft guys. I don't want to spend one nickel more. I don't want to, cause I don't want to take it from anybody, but my goodness, if you're going to spend all this money and then not educate any kids. And if you can't reach any of the poor kids whose parents couldn't get them there without government help, then what's the point? If you're only helping the, the parents that don't need the help, then what is the damn point? And, and we really, we have to start, you know, it's like, it. I look at it kind of like, I'm always saying about China, we have to recognize that they're practicing genocide, that they want to destroy freedom of speech worldwide. These are pretty serious things. And again, I don't, I don't know all the answers, what every policy should be. The world's a complicated, tough place. But I know that if we don't recognize that, we're not going to have the right policy. And if we don't recognize an education, that we are being ripped off to a gigantic level again and again and again. If the, you know, look, I know all kinds of teachers. Every teacher I know I like, and I think they're great teachers. And they're helping kids all the time, every year, all kinds of kids. And it's beautiful. But the teachers unions are ugly, ugly, ugly. And what they have done to education and what this whole money pit with all these people who come up with cockamamie theories. It's like we need educators and we need the theoretical educators and most of teaching academia to be thrown out to get a real job somewhere.
0: Well, (laughs) well, maybe I'll do a third Well, Uh, On Friday, we dealt, in a sense, uh, with the uh, man who may have helped more kids learn how to read and write than anybody else in America, (laughs) Dr. Seuss. Because he made reading fun uh, at a young age. And he also did these basic kids' books that adults still quote. At my age, I'm still quoting On Beyond Zebra. Yes. And you, I've heard you quote, well, you've riffed on Green Eggs and Ham. And, and in, yes. your, in your Friday piece, you quote Horton Hears a Who. So Dr. Seuss is a big deal in America and around the world. But uh, something funny happened with the people who own the Dr. Seuss copyrights.
1: Well, the name of that piece is Peak. Absurdity, um, and and we should say you know this is this is not government censorship. This is the people who own the copyrights <clears throat> and who run the that foundation. And I think they're connected to I don't know if it's Random House or what corporate entity, but they're all together and they met with a bunch of academics. <laughs> Just between you and me, that was their <laughs> mistake.
0: Yeah, obviously.
1: But, but anyway, um, but. But, okay, so it's all voluntary. There's no problem with that, except we have every right to look at it and say, well, do I like it? Do I not like it? Does this make sense to me? Does it not make sense? Because this is a free world. We get to say what we want to say and think about all kinds of things. And I look at this and I just think, you know, I looked at the pictures and the books I have, because I have, uh, uh, and to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street and If I Ran the Zoo, um, and you know, and I thought, would I read this, you know, if I had a, I have uh, uh, relatives who have uh, different skin color. I have friends who, you know, different nationalities, if their kid was over and they're, you know, would I read these books or would I, oh no, 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 you couldn't read. And, and I don't think there'd be any problem with these books. Um, And part of it is, as we point out in this commentary, these are caricatures and, and of course, um, you know, any difference is blown up big and made a big deal of. And he does mention something in, in the one book where he has uh, uh, folks from China and they're drawn where their eyes have a slant and so on. And it mentions in the text that there's a, you know, uh, it, it gets to, oh, I don't have it up here anymore, but uh, but it mentions something where the rhyme is with slant. And, And, you know, I don't know. I I, I hadn't spoken to someone who's who's Asian to see, you know, what sensitivity there would be to that. Although I have found that a lot of the sensitivity is is not there. They're like thinking, you know, what is the big deal? I found that, you know, most of the people I know who are who are black or, uh, you know, they're mixed race. But but someone on the street might say, oh, they're black. Um, you ask them about different things and it's like you know they, they, this what you read about in the newspaper that this is how this community thinks is complete crap. Um, you know there's a lot of diversity of, of opinion so on. But anyway, um, these these books, I think it's fine that if they want to pull them out, that's they're, they're right. but it's a sign that, we seem to be hyper-focused in the weirdest areas because what I always liked about Dr. Seuss is the universality of the way he drew and thought and talked. He had a tremendous, you felt like, I mean, you felt connected to all these You weren't just connected to the China man. you were connected to a zigzag sewer or whatever. I mean, you know, you just had, and, and he had all kinds of books, the, the butter battle book, which was a, a very late uh, book, but my, my oldest was a baby then. And it was kind of about the cold war and so on. And one side like their bread with the butter side up and the other with the butter side down now clearly. Butter side down, bread. I don't want to live there. That's just going to be messy. But but anyway, it was a very funny book, and it was it was poignant and a great book. Horton here's a who. This is about respecting every individual, no matter how small, no matter how different. Um, I just don't see how you look at the totalitarian totality of Doctor Seuss. And you go on, you know, some kind of thing that he was a terrible racist guy. Now, he also drew cartoons, political cartoons during World War II. And he was personally, uh, from what I've read, I'm trying to think of the right word, whether it was disappointed, concerned, just uncomfortable with some of the depictions uh, after the war. But, of course, you know, you look at that and you think, you know, I guess you can hold him accountable however you want. I kind of look at that and I think, you know, this guy's drawing. It's a this is World War Two. This is, you know, you've got concentration camps in Germany and you've got the rape of Nanking and you've got, you know, this is. A, and and uh, I have a book I read years ago. Uh, oh, I can't think of the name of that. But, but it was about uh, propaganda. In the US about Japan and propaganda in Japan about the US during World War II. And it was fascinating and it was vicious.
0: And on both sides or on, on one
1: both No, oh, the Japanese said, look, the Americans are really nice people if you get to know <laughs> them, but still bomb them and kill them because they're in our way. No, of course the Americans are these big, horrible, terrible people who will kill us all and destroy us all and, and, uh, and so, you know, the, the funny thing is how similar the depictions and the, then the general thrust of the propaganda was. So anyway, it's, it's, uh, I think, I think Dr. Seuss, um, uh, Theodore Geisel, uh, was thoughtful about this stuff. I think he would have some concern. He might look at these pictures and say, "I don't want these out there. I, I just don't like this. I, you know, it's too far in this day and age." And so, it's not as if he was, you know, completely oblivious to any of any of the concern. But it it again shows not so much that because this isn't hasn't been. Outlawed, it has been cancelled, people aren't screaming that he's a Nazi and a racist and a you know, there's just all the kind of implication and the ickiness around the edges, and he's drawn some things that are questionable. Any rational person, it seems to me, who reads the wealth of literature he wrote sees his contribution as so incredibly positive and if this is if 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 what can be picked apart here is the you know best kind of argument against him being a good guy he's a good guy and and so it's it's a, that's a funny way to say it i guess but but it's just it you know it it strikes me that we see a couple trees and miss the entire forest, the entire forest.
0: You know, maybe that's what they're trying to do. Maybe it's that problem is they don't want to see, they don't have kids look at somebody they know, the kids know to be a good liberal universalistic guy against violence and bullying and all the things he was against and wrote against in book after book. And he was also able to draw a picture of an African in a in a tribal you know in a tribal costume, doing right. the usual Uga Booga thing, or a Chinaman in pure yellow. Uh, they don't want to see that because then they might say, "Oh, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe the fact right. that he can see that those that's just the way human beings are sometimes are, and that's how we characterize them in cartoons, and it's all fun. That's too much fun for the educators. They they also. And they're
1: 100% wrong, at least 98% wrong. They also have this view that somehow kids can't process that, adults can't process that, people can't process that. I mean, this is, they can process it all. And the truth is, if any picture in this, if someone wanted to pull it out, well, then let's pull it out. It's like uh, you know, let's—I don't mean pull it out of the book so much, but let's pull it out and talk about it. Why is that concerning? And what? And and uh, you know, I think a lot of it. At the end of the day, it's not really, um, you know, our eyes look different than somebody else's eyes. Our cheeks, our nose, our elbow—it that's the beauty of this world—is that we're not all the same, and yet. We all are all the same in certain important ways, too. That's, that's the whole beauty of this place. How do you screw that up? And, well, this is how. You you become hyper. This is the cultural revolution without the stadium appearances and without the heavy death counts.
0: So but far. This is
1: the, So far. But, I mean, when you see somebody, and there hasn't been any of this in a while, I think maybe they decided to cut this out uh, as it got closer to Election Day, but these diners who were dining outside being accosted and having their food stolen or different things and being told they needed to say, you know, Black Lives Matter and so on, uh, and raise their fist, you know, that is a level of assault and intimidation that... You know, that's a that's, and it's, it's very much a cultural revolution type uh, sentiment. And, and, you know, we, <clears throat> again, you know, it's, it's, I think sometimes people look at what's happening around the world and they think these terrible countries, you know, in Miramar, they open fire on protesters, the military, and kill 18. Uh I mean it's just all over the they arrested another, another forty seven pro-democracy people in Hong Kong this week. Uh, and these people are guilty of holding a primary to nominate candidates. I mean, they did nothing wrong whatsoever, except in, in China it's wrong to like democracy. Uh, and so uh, and, and they're facing life in prison for it. Um, so I mean, in the whole world there's lots of terrible things going on. But what's happening in China, Hong Kong, Belarus, uh, you know, Myanmar, the same thing will be happening in America if we let it happen. If a couple of military leaders who were ambitious thought that they could just take over the country, they probably would. At least they try. Um, if politicians think that they can get away with seizing every bit of information from us online, through our phone lines, through grabbing our bank records, through, you know, all the things that the NSA was doing illegally that uh, Edward Snowden told us about. Um, I mean, if they think they can get away with doing that, they're going to do it. They already have demonstrated that. And so we, this is not a, U.S. good, rest of the world bad, or U.S. good, China bad, or U.S. and Europe good, but these people not so good, Russia bad. We have governments around the world who tend to do as much evil as they can get away with. And it's, it's up to us. It's not quite fair. We've got to spend so much of our darn lives uh, policing these darn governments, but we do. And, uh, and, and we have to do that. And the more they want to clamp down on what we can say and what we can hear and read and see, you know, this is we, – we live in very dangerous times. These are the times that try men's souls because we're living in a scary, rapidly changing world in which both superpowers – would like to, and I hate that term superpowers, but there's some, some truth there, a little bit, uh, but two huge countries, very powerful around the world, and I think the U.S. is much, much better when it comes to free speech and other issues, much, much better, but terrible and getting worse. And China is horrible and getting worse and trying to make the rest of the world come along with them in terms of getting worse
0: well that's probably a good place to end for the week yes sir first week of march 2021 though i do have two bits of uh, information uh dr suits pronounced his name seuss but he he gave up after a while that's the that's the german pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> he's a rational man yeah and the other is that his uh, racist car- uh, cartoon figures of Japanese people in you know World War II appeared in the the progressive magazine of its time, PM, which was a progressive magazine. It was it was a Henry Wallace kind of place, and wow. uh, so it's he and he was always a progressive. So what we're seeing here is we're watching the progressives sort of eat their own or their eat their eat their forebears, which I've been commenting a lot this last week on about the tendency to eat our forebears. Because, you know, in the old days, uh, ancestor worship was a huge reverence for ancestors. In some form was the beginning of all civilizations. Yeah. And yes. And so my question is, is imprecations upon and calumnies against our ancestors, our forebears, is that the beginning of the end of our civilization? That's the question I ask. I don't know if it's true, but it doesn't look good. The further you go down that
1: path... The closer you are to the the end of civilization, and
0: and it's not a.
1: I can remember thinking about uh, as a teenager, thinking about how much my parents' generation had screwed up the country, but not blaming my parents. I knew they were trying their best to you know to try to stop what was going on, um, and then as I got older, realizing, gosh, I hope that kids don't hold us responsible for. But in the same way, in in our day and time we have have kind of decided we can start holding people responsible for what people who lived hundreds of years before them did and and it goes both ways and it's a terrible terrible i mean part of 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 modern civilization has been the idea that you are not limited by your father or grandfather or mother or grandmother and um and this idea that that you are now responsible for what they've done or that, you know, no matter, no matter what, uh, you know, no matter how well you did for 90 years, you're now 90 years old. And because your ideas aren't hip with what's just come into, you know, uh, into a fad, we're going to, you know, we're going to arrest you or, or put you in a concentration camp or, or just silence you in one way or another. And of course, That's not what, you know, there's no bills in Congress today to put 90-year-olds in concentration camps and so on. That's a little bit of hyperbole there, uh, and and kind of taking things to the extreme. But the this break between, you know, we're not gonna do anything to educate the young. We really they're they're warehoused, and the older are, you know, despised because they're not with it somehow. This uh you know, one of the interesting things i I'll—I'll I'll, I'll say it because maybe I can say it quickly. But I read this article today about more Asian Americans are keeping their kids home as schools are reopening, and part of the reason that they're doing that is that they have more—I uh, uh, don't know what the right word is—but their their families they have multi generational people living in the same, same house. And so they're worried about the kids bringing home something to the grandma. And, and they also, though, they have a, a kind of uh, social system where a bunch of them have decided not to send their kids there so that it's not like they're all alone at home they could have a recess where they run out and there's all the kids in the neighborhood. And they have, because they have grandparents, if both parents are working, which is not as much, but if they are, uh, then they have someone to take care of the the kids and stuff. It was really interesting because a number of them had decided to delay going back. And it was kind of predicated, this story that I had read in the Washington post was predicated on their fear of anti-Asian, you know, uh, uh, harassment or something. But it turned out that it was much more uh, was working around the idea that it's just better. You know, we have a system of support that we're okay not going to school. And those kids will be in front of that TV, you know, doing their homework. And so they're not falling behind as much, although, you know, they're like every other demographic group. They haven't done as well at home, you know, over Zoom or whatever, as they they would in
0: in-person instruction. Well, there we are. For everything Paul Jacob related, go to thisiscommonsense.org.